Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. If you're interested in getting some merch, visit my YouTube channel, or you can donate directly via Venmo or PayPal following the links in the description. You can submit case suggestions to southerngirlcrimestories at gmail.com or DM me on social media. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. This story contains graphic and disturbing images of child abuse. I struggled to decide what images to include, which are hard for me to see too. The social and government systems that should protect children failed Adrian Jones. By publishing this video, I hope to shine a light on these possible failures. Adrian Alexander Jones was born on May 5, 2008, the fifth of six children born to Dana Pierce and an evil, soulless man named Michael Jones. He was failed by the adults in his life, the state, and all that could have done something to save him. Michael and Pierce broke up after he started having an affair with an equally as horrible woman named Heather. In September 2011, when Adrian was two years old, Michael got custody of the three children he fathered with Pierce. Reports say that in 2012, the Kansas Department for Children and Families removed Adrian and his siblings from their biological mother's care and lack of supervision. However, Dana claims that DCF was never in her home, never did an investigation into his safety while under her care, and that Adrian was never removed from her home. Instead, she says her mother, Judy Conway, took Adrian away from her and placed him in the care of his father and stepmother. Regardless, Judy wanted the children, but the state told her the kid's father wanted custody and he got it. Meanwhile, Michael and Heather rented a four-bedroom home in an isolated area set on 15 acres of land in the 5200 block of North 99th Street in Kansas City, Kansas. At the time, Heather was pregnant and the couple had six other children in the home, isolated under the guise of homeschooling. Their landlord, Jennifer Hovers, went inside the home after they moved in. She found it odd that there were so many surveillance cameras inside the house. She assumed it was for protection because Michael was a Bell's bondsman, but little did she know that the home she was renting out would soon become a house of horrors, a place where unthinkable things would occur, a place that was hell on earth for precious little innocent Adrian. His father and stepmother would endlessly torture Adrian and do things that even seasoned authorities had trouble digesting. In December of 2011, this photo was taken of Adrian by Officer Wall after Adrian reported abuse at the hands of Michael and Heather. Even in his sad-looking state, nothing was done. In 2012, Adrian's grandmother, Judy, and Adrian's older sister, Kiki, visited him at Christmas, and all appeared to be okay. 
but when they left, they didn't know it would be the last time they would see precious Adrian alive. While under the so-called care of Heather and Michael, what he endured cannot be explained in words, but his story still deserves to be told, so I will do the best I can. Just a couple of months after his father and stepmother received custody, Adrian and his siblings told other adults about the abuse they suffered at home from their parents. The children reported that Adrian suffered the most abuse out of all the children. For example, the children said they saw lines on him and said he was choked one night while he was in the bathroom with Heather. DCF investigated and learned that Heather hit the children with objects or her hand, leaving whelps and bruises. The children said the father also used physical discipline, but it didn't seem to be as severe as the physical discipline Heather used. Michael told DCF he and Heather would split up and he would ensure that she would not have contact with the children and a safety plan was put in place. However, that plan didn't last and unbeknownst to DCF, the couple had reunited. DCF would only find out after a report was filed regarding Adrian not getting proper medical care for his mental health needs in August 2013. The family moved numerous times between Kansas and Missouri, making it challenging for DCF to keep up with them. But DCF in both states still received reports of abuse. Soon after moving across the state line to Missouri, someone called to report that Heather was selling meth from their house and Adrian was seen eating out of trash cans. The Kansas City Star reports that numerous people made repeated hotline calls saying he was being neglected and beaten at home by his father and stepmother, but like most of these cases, very little was done to protect the children. The family then stopped communicating with Missouri authorities and moved across the state line again back into Kansas. In 2013, a Missouri Children's Division social worker and police officer spoke with Adrian. The files released by DCF revealed the agency had extensive interactions with the family during which Adrian disclosed the abuse to social workers. The little boy told them, Daddy kicks me, he keeps hitting me in the head and punches me in the stomach, and Mom keeps pulling on my ears and it really hurts. He added that his parents always lock me in my room and I have to sleep without a pillow and blanket. He also said he was forced to do push-ups all day long. The Kansas City Star reported that the Missouri Children's Division found a large amount of evidence that Adrian had been neglected in July 2013. Missouri had planned to provide in-home services to the family, even though the family failed to cooperate with Missouri authorities. At one point, the family tried to give Adrian to the authorities, yet they would not take him. Apparently, nothing was done about anything. Because Adrian reported the abuse and no one saved him, Michael and Heather began keeping him confined in their shower. They did this to keep him from being able to tell anyone about the abuse he was suffering. In 2014, Adrian spent a few months in a residential treatment center after being diagnosed with PTSD. Michael called Adrian's grandmother, Judy, and told her that Adrian was in a psychiatric hospital because he was a pedophile. Even with these outlandish lies about Adrian, he was still not removed from the care of Michael and Heather. Combining Kansas and Missouri's abuse files would eventually amount to more than 2,500 pages. I know I'm saying this a lot, but it's important. 
Adrian was never, not even once, removed from Michael and Heather's custody. Therefore, he endured several years of unfathomable torture, beatings, isolation, and starvation. Fast forward to November 5, 2015, Heather called the police to report domestic abuse at the hands of Michael. When the police arrived, Heather told them her husband had tried to shoot her. The house was filthy and had bullet holes in the walls. Trash was strewn throughout the house, along with dead mice, rat poison, syringes, and pornography videos on the floor and the countertops. At this point, the seven children in the home ranged from two to ten years old. But one thing was missing, Adrian. The police were very familiar with the family and were concerned when Adrian could not be found. Shockingly, Heather told them if they looked around the property, they'd find the remains of a child. Police returned the following day and found partial human remains in a livestock pen near the barn and later identified them as belonging to Adrian. After spending most of his life severely abused, Adrian was murdered by his father and stepmother and died alone on the floor of a dirty shower after starving to death. Because he became too weak to stand up or lean against a wall, Michael and Heather strapped him to a chair and left him in the shower to die. His body remained there for two weeks until the smell became overwhelming. Then, his parents went out and purchased pigs. They intentionally did not feed the pigs for a while to ensure they were extremely hungry. Shortly after the Joneses were arrested, the landlord said Heather gave her the passwords for her computer because she wanted her to send pictures of her children while she awaited trial in custody. The landlord had no idea she was logging into a nightmare of gruesome evidence. As soon as she opened iCloud, she found pictures of Adrian's abuse. She took the evidence to the police and then to Adrian's grandmother. The abuse began with Adrian being forced to stand for hours with his hands in the air. Several photos show the seven-year-old strapped to a table and blindfolded. Heather Jones also shared these pictures with groups of people on Facebook. She discussed and shared stories of torturing young Adrian. Heather had even saved online ads for straitjackets and blanket wraps for transporting human bodies. Photos showed his face was cracked with a broomstick. He was forced to eat out of a maggot-infested bowl outside his home with his hands tied behind his back. He was stripped naked and confined to a shower stall for hours and even strapped to an inversion table. He had been strapped to the inversion table so much that his little... that his little hands and ankles were permanently swollen. Heather even shared some pictures with her friends on Facebook, yet no one reported them. There were messages throughout Facebook talking about tasing him. Many of the photos show mysterious marks on Adrian's body. The couple even took photographs of Adrian's deteriorating health, documenting it as if they were proud of the torture they inflicted upon him. Surveillance video shows Adrian's hands and feet handcuffed while he was forced to stay outside. One video clip shows Adrian trying to use his mouth to pick up what appears to be a bowl and eat whatever is in it. At that point, his stepmother, Heather, comes into the video and seems to be lecturing Adrian. He would regularly be shocked with a stun gun for 20 seconds 
During the trial, the prosecutor stayed quiet for 20 seconds to let the court realize how long that time was. In the distressing video, Adrian desperately tries to drink from a cup, but he can't pick it up because his wrists are handcuffed behind his back. Most of Adrian's last days were spent stripped naked and confined to a shower stall for hours. The Joneses also forced their son to stand in neck-deep water in the family's filthy swimming pool overnight in winter in Kansas. One video shows him being forced to hold tiki torches over his head for long periods. It looked like there were a lot of taser marks and then a lot of swelling from being strapped to the inversion table and handcuffed to the wall and a lot of scratches and stuff from probably picking, trying to get out. There were 32 surveillance cameras in the house to watch him. Adrian went from a healthy little boy to a skeletal one with rotten teeth and sunken eyes. But Heather also documented Adrian's abuse in writing. She uploaded notes about it that date back to 2012. In the last months of Adrian's life, his parents stopped calling him by his name. Instead, they called him the boy. In a Facebook message Heather sent to an unknown person, she wrote, Just strap the boy to my inversion table with handcuffs and ace bandages and put him downstairs. Judy said Michael and Heather wouldn't let her see the kids in the months leading up to Adrian's death. She told the 41 Action News investigators she was worried and contacted the Kansas Department for Children and Families twice. Michael was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Heather was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after less than 30 years. Heather actually had the galls to say that she wasn't strong enough to protect him and felt helpless to protect him from her abusive husband. Adrian can no longer be saved, but other children may be protected in the future if DCF re-evaluates its practices and learns from the circumstances surrounding Adrian's death. Community members can contact their local legislators to request a formal review of DCF or DHS, is called in some states. My heart grieves for this little boy who had no one to protect him and only knew abuse and terror. According to the Kansas City Star, a Missouri caseworker said that she made the Kansas caseworker aware that Adrian had disclosed physical abuse by his stepmother and his father. Additionally, the worker commented that she reported the children were homeschooled and had not been seen by any outside members of the family regularly. Kansas DCF Secretary Phyllis Gilmore stated that they last had contact with the family in early 2012. KSHB.com reported that Gilmore said the family's frequently alternating residency between Kansas and Missouri greatly disrupted the continuity of services and evaluation. However, she insisted Kansas child welfare officials often shared information about Adrian, when known, with their Missouri counterparts. Additionally, Gilmore stated that her agency thoroughly investigated each reported incident of abuse or neglect involving Adrian. They last had contact with the family in early 2012, so which one is it? Kansas DCF refused to release any information regarding the case, something they are known for. A former employee of Michael Jones stated that he witnessed Adrian being abused but never said anything. Also, Adrian's grandmother contacted DCF twice before his murder. Former Deputy Director of DCF, Diane Keach, 
said she is appalled by the lack of transparency from the agency. She quit the department due to issues similar to this case. Diane stated that DCF often kept these types of child death cases secret from the public and said that the attorney for DCF didn't feel like they should document anything related to a child's death. She wanted only to have a verbal conversation over the phone. She said, if we took handwritten notes, we were instructed to shred them afterward. She said she'd personally viewed numerous deaths in Kansas where they missed it. The Joneses weren't the only adults in the home. Another resident by the name of Willie Flowers was living there as well. He can be seen on camera in the house and knew what was happening, but did absolutely nothing. According to Heather, Flowers would often babysit the children. The department said they looked into Flowers after Adrian's death, but didn't have enough evidence to charge him. John Paserno, a criminal defense attorney, said it's not a crime to live in a home while a child is being abused or even tortured and killed. In 2017, Kansas Representative Louis Ruiz introduced Adrian's Law, which was signed into law and states adults now must report child abuse or face criminal charges. It is now a requirement that the Kansas DCF physically lay eyes on a child at risk for abuse when visiting the home. They cannot just leave the house without an answer. After Adrian died, the 41 Action News investigators spoke to several people who said they contacted DCF before Adrian was killed. Adrian's grandmother also said Adrian was often hungry and forced to eat plain oatmeal while his six sisters living in the house were given McDonald's. The surveillance video from inside the home shows a very thin and naked Adrian in the kitchen getting what appears to be a bowl of water. The footage shows Adrian cowering behind a cabinet and slowly lowering himself to the ground as he notices another person entering the room. As the person passes by, Adrian can be seen carrying the bowl as he sneaks out of the room. Adrian's grandmother, Judy Conway, identified that person as Adrian's great-uncle, Willie Flowers. The landlord described the video and said it looked like Adrian had snuck out of the shower and was going to get a bowl of water, and the uncle walked in, and Adrian hid and then ran out behind him. Little Adrian was doing everything he could to survive. He tried to escape, tried to get help, tried to eat, and tried to live. He was punished if he was caught trying to eat food. In one of the videos, he was seen being forced to eat from a bowl of applesauce with bugs and dirt in it while his hands were bound. Other photos show him tied up with a plate of food in front of him and a bar of soap in his mouth so that he couldn't eat the food. Alarms were even placed on cabinets so that if Adrian ever tried to get food, Heather and Michael would be notified. His ankles were bent out of shape due to the beatings and restraints. In a Facebook post on Christmas Day in 2014, Heather referenced wanting to simulate a scene in an episode of The Walking Dead where one of the characters shoots a child in the back of the head. The Kansas City Star reported that a Missouri child advocate and CEO of Foster Adopt Connect, Lori Ross, stated that Adrian should have been removed from the home by Missouri authorities after he reported abuse in 2013. Lastly, I hope everyone who sees this will share this story and never allow the child welfare system to forget what happened to young Adrian Jones. Shortly after Adrian's death, records from DCF were sealed by the state of Missouri 
and Kansas, despite a law being in place since 2004 that states when a child is killed or nearly killed from abuse, the files become public record. It was 2017 before the records in Adrian's file were finally released, four years after his murder. Family members of Adrian filed a lawsuit seeking $25 million in punitive damages against social workers they say should have removed him from a dangerous situation. The lawsuit filed against social workers from the Missouri Department of Social Services and the Kansas Department for Children and Families alleged that child welfare workers knew Adrian was being physically abused but didn't remove him from his home and just documented the abuse. The lawsuit states that agencies and workers allegedly meticulously investigated and carefully documented every violent kick, punch, slap, and injury inflicted upon Adrian by his sadistic father and stepmother. The agencies allegedly generated stacks of records and reports chronicling the ceaseless stomach-churning abuse. But according to the lawsuit, an intervention was limited and consisted of having the Jones couple sign a piece of paper agreeing to stop torturing the child, the legal equivalent of a pinky swear. I know this was a very hard story for all of us to get through, but sometimes things, no matter how bad they are, still need to be shared. Let's never stop pushing for more protection for these poor innocent children, and while they didn't save Adrian, at least he is no longer suffering. Michael and Heather, I'm sure hell has a special place for you. Chase Allen was born on August 31, 2018, into a life of hell. When he was only two months old, he and his siblings were taken away from their mother, Azura de France, because of abuse and neglect. Unfortunately, three months later, all the children were returned over the objections of their grandmother and aunts. Their continued calls to the hotline to report suspected incidents of abuse were to no avail. The children were living in a house at 12,765 Monte Vista Street in Detroit, Michigan, and with the continued abuse and neglect, they were unable to defend or care for themselves. When Chase was three years old, his loved ones described him as sweet, shy, and soft-spoken. His family members started noticing that he appeared malnourished and neglected by his abusive mother, France. They offered to take him in and care for him, but she refused. The family says they contacted Child Protective Services and the Detroit Police Department dozens of times, but were told there was nothing they could do. The abuse worsened, and Chase ended up going blind for some strange reason. Family members even found him with burns on his body. When France was questioned about it, she told her sister and mother that he burned himself when touching a hot noodle plate. After that incident was reported, CPS was supposed to do three-month checkups, but the family believes those follow-ups never occurred. Eventually, France told her mother that Chase had gone to live with his paternal grandfather's girlfriend in Coldwater, Michigan. But when his grandfather was released from jail, he refuted France's claim and said that Chase was not living there. France told a different story to neighbors. She said he was living in Alabama with her aunt and uncle because he needed so much care and attention after going blind. A next-door neighbor said she had never met Chase, but she often bought clothing and food for the five other children, whom she described as deprived. 
France has a history of postpartum depression but refused treatment or therapy. CPS received a complaint that France threatened to harm one of her sons on April 7, 2020, the day after giving birth to him. France has an extensive history with Children's Protective Services. Court records indicate prior contacts with CPS three times in 2016 and twice in 2017 due to physical abuse, improper supervision, sexual abuse, failure to protect, and physical neglect. At the time of her fifth child's birth in 2020, her other four kids were in foster care due to physical abuse and France's untreated mental health. They were also in foster care in 2018 because she had pleaded guilty to severe physical abuse of her two-year-old nephew, who was temporarily in her care. The child's father, Francis's brother, had passed away, and the child's mother told CPS workers that she allowed the toddler to live with France for a short time because she needed a break. But she became suspicious that something was wrong when France refused to send her a picture of her son and return him. When the child got to the hospital, his lips were swollen, his left eye was black with a scratch under it, and he had a contusion on his forehead and bruises to his ribcage and ankles. France pleaded guilty to fourth-degree child abuse, a misdemeanor, and the felony charge was dismissed. She received two years of probation, which ended in February 2021. It's unclear why, but after Frances completed probation on her criminal child abuse case, her children were returned to her. On June 24, 2022, CPS was contacted by an unknown caller for a welfare check to lay eyes on Chase. When the Detroit Police Department officers arrived at Frances' home, she opened the door and tried to push the officers away as if nothing was going on. The officers ignored her and went inside to find five other children living in squalor, a three-month-old girl, a two-year-old boy, a five-year-old boy, a seven-year-old boy, and a nine-year-old girl. As France continued to talk, they recognized that something was wrong with the conversation and how she communicated with them. Suddenly, France admitted that Chase was in the basement refrigerator. Officer Matthew McKinney entered the basement, opened the freezer, and found a red, white, and blue bag. When he opened it a bit, he made a horrific discovery, Chase's decomposing body. It wasn't immediately clear when Chase died or how long he had been in the freezer. France said he had medical issues and died, so she put him in the freezer. It was later determined that he had two skull fractures and was malnourished. His cause of death was blunt force trauma and the manner of death was ruled a homicide. France said she kicked him in the chest and when he wouldn't wake up the next day, she put his body in the freezer where it remained for three months. France admitted to abusing Chase often because she would get frustrated with him, especially after he went blind, but did not ever hitting him in the head. The other five children were taken to the hospital to be evaluated. Once their physical health was assessed, the children underwent Kids Talk, a forensic interview with investigators and a child psychologist. They were then placed in the custody of Child Protective Services until the family took them in to care for them. France was charged with first-degree murder, first-degree child abuse, torture, and concealing a death. The medical examiner said it takes more force to fracture a child's skull than an adult's because kids have more water content in their skulls. 
During an interview, France admitted that she didn't want Chase, but was too scared of losing her other kids to say anything about it. She said she'd never had a blind child before and had no help caring for her children. Tony Haynes, France's mother, says she is mourning the loss of her grandson and is sickened and outraged that he died at the hands of her own child. Shockingly, media interest in this story dropped off after a few days, and amazingly, there was little to no coverage of the preliminary court hearings on the case. Even worse, there has been no response to the tragedy from the Detroit City Council, the Michigan legislature, or community activists. Unfortunately, Chase is one of many children each year in the state of Michigan that die of abuse or neglect, and in many of the cases, CPS was notified, but they failed to do anything. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.